We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. How about you? I'm well. Newfocusfinancial.com. 60% of the S&P 500 stocks have hit, quote-unquote, correction territory. Um, is that enough? Is it not enough? Uh, a lot of thoughts out there. You know, A lot of fear, a lot of headlines, a lot of uh, CNBC running with it, per se. Uh, how do you feel about the, the 60% number? Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's some certain stocks, and we've talked about this before, that have gone into even farther into true bear territory versus 10% corrections. I mean, we're seeing some industrial and transports that have gone down 25 35% when revenues might be off, you know, 12 to 15 So there's certain sectors that have just really been whacked, and the financials are interesting because the European banks – are in a bit of a crisis mode because of uh, the thought of negative interest rates and potential run there and uh, you know, how much of these countries invested too much in oil and other emerging markets. And I think we're getting to the point where um, fears are overblown, but we haven't really had that kind of capitulation yet. You know what I mean, Rob? I've heard only a couple of stories of people to go going to cash in their 401k, which is silly. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that uh, – it's going to be a tough couple of months, and that's okay because we have these every seven years, like clockwork almost. Three out of ten years are negative, but seven out of ten years are positive, and those seven years take care of you pretty well. So I hope I said that correctly. I hope I didn't say 60% are in correction. I meant to say 60% are in bear. And uh, even names like Tesla, I was not surprised, but I was actually happy to see it's down almost 50% from its, 52, from its all-time high. Um, Apple, Google... Um, everyone's getting hit. Last year's winners are being hit. I bring up particularly Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, in large part, a little bit of a source of funds, which is kind of capitulation when people start to sell their winners to pay their margin calls and or to pay their debts and obligations. Yeah, some of the Teslas and things like that are, I think, some of the, you know, the Google, a lot of 
hedge funds that were able to get into Facebook um, and then owned Google, two of the you know four fang stocks there. Um, yeah, hedge funds are having to sell to meet redemptions because other than that, their performance was pretty poor. Um, so let's talk. So, let's talk about planning opportunities. You're sure. a certified financial planner, New Focus Financial. People could find you at newfocusfinancial.com. They could listen to your show today from 2 to 3 here on KDOW. Um, what planning opportunities should we be trying to take advantage of? Because, again, uh, big breaks in the market create opportunities. Yeah, you bet. Um, well, some of the opportunities are to harvest losses, and what that means is that if you have a mutual fund or an ETF or even in some cases an individual stock um, and it, it's declined and you have a loss on paper, um, you can swap it into something else. So in other words, um, if you've got a, you know, a small cap ETF, swap it into another small cap ETF that's not exactly the same but similar um, so that you can have a loss on paper but you still stay invested. And that loss, you can you know, use those losses to write off against any capital gains for the year. If you don't have any gains for the year, you can take 3000 off your ordinary income and then carry the rest forward indefinitely. So eventually you're going to need to sell stocks at gains, and eventually you're going to need to sell your ESPPs at work at a gain or um, you know, your business or real estate, whatever it may be. And it's like creating a bank account with the IRS. So actively harvest and manage your taxes within your taxable accounts. And you have to be careful, though. You can't do a wash day. You can't buy it, you know, sell it in your taxable account and then buy it back in your IRA. It, it's, it doesn't, it, it's, it's across your Social Security number, not your different account types. The other thing is, too, is that if you practice that income planning and retirement and you've listened and you know that from the date of retirement to age 69 is a key year to take advantage of Roth conversions and small amounts to maximize your bracket, a good time to do that would be now. Um, the market's down. You make your, your Roth conversion for the year. It goes over into a Roth. Hopefully we you know, have an upswing later on and the Roth grows rapidly. Um, if you recharacterize, if you did a conversion last year and your Roth IRA is down from where you paid taxes on it, you have until October 15th of 2016 to recharacterize that. Say, so you know what? I've changed my mind. It's lost value. I paid taxes on a much higher amount. I'm going to change my mind and recharacterize it back into an IRA. Um, if you have until October 15th to do that, if you file taxes before, then you'd have to, you know, file an amendment. Um, so, but, but keep in mind, and if you do a Roth conversion this year and the market, can, you know, falls a little bit more, you can have until October 15th of next year. So you always need to look back and say, what did I do with my Roth? Was it a good timing or a bad timing? And uh, you have the really cool ability to change your mind, Rob. How about specific investment changes? Anything in particular that you think people should be thinking about? Not necessarily doing, but thinking about setting themselves up to pull the trigger on. Yeah, these kind of opportunities, these bear market opportunities, give you kind of the ability to reset. And what was going on was people were forgetting about how important valuation was. Um, so it gives you the opportunity to reset and say, okay, what, what's in my playbook? I'm setting up, I'm building a team that in three to five years is going to win the championship. That's what you got to focus on. You got to focus on, you know, stocks that are, have sold off too much. They look like a bargain, but they continue to raise their dividend. They continue to have strong, you know, free cash flow. Um, and uh, just really kind of think longer term and remind yourself that valuation does matter. Remind yourself that second part of this is to rebalance your portfolio. 
because if people set up an asset allocation, say, in 2010, of 70% stocks, 30% bonds, and they continue to just leave it as is, they became way overweight in equities. And this correction is much more painful for those that than those that you know continue to rebalance each year and maintain their certain level of risk. Um, you know, a balanced portfolio is only going to be down about you know five or six percent versus the overall market, down you know almost twice as much as that. So, learn how to rebalance your portfolio, and and if it, the market falls ten percent, rebalance it. That means you're buying stocks. If it falls another ten percent. I mean, you're in full bear market territory, rebalance again and buy more stocks, and then you're set up again for the next five years. We've got a little bit over a minute left. What lessons can we learn from how the market was acting last year versus the start of 2016? What are you seeing? Well, again, maintain your proper asset allocation. Um, Rebalance a couple times a year on on good years so that you're set up for the bad years. And also keep an eye on small caps. Small caps are acting horribly for the last two years, drastically underperforming large caps, which tells you you are not in a growth market. You're in more of a value market. And then keep an eye on the advanced decline line and things like, okay, if only four stocks are really putting the S&P 500 in positive territory, that's not good breadth of the market. Um, it's not a overall positive. It's not a time to take extra risk. So you can keep an eye on those things to know when you should have your foot on the gas pedal or, or tapping the brakes a little bit. Sounds good. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of resources at newfocusfinancial.com. Um, there's downloadables. There's um, PDFs that you know explain some of the ten pillars of retirement income. You need to start thinking about this stuff. Notice there's a strange level of calm in most people's voice right now. Is this a 2011 correction slash bear market, or is this a 2008 where banks get wiped out? There is no doubt. That the, you know, the, this is not that as far as banks are concerned, but as far as emerging markets and their debt, could some of it be linked? Could some of it decouple a little further, a little faster, a little harder? Absolutely, in my opinion. With that said, stay tuned. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. Again, you can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, seems a little early to still be buying oil, um, unless you want to scale in two different strategies, one where you're predicting the bottom, one where you're saying, I'm going to, you know, buy more if it goes lower. So keep in mind a move from 30 to 20 is a 50% move. So that's pretty dramatic if you think we can go that low. So markets are in distress mode right now. Uh, it seems that no matter what happens, you can kind of expect uh, a downslide. So it's almost as if, oh, well, 
market opened higher, but we're kind of going lower. Um, crude oil sits at t- just under $30 a barrel. Our markets opened lower this morning, went higher. Uh, the 10-year Treasury sits at 1.75. That's a big ding, 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 ding flashing sign. Uh, you are seeing some bounce in some stocks today. Netflix up 4%, Tesla up 4%. So those momentum stocks have found a little bit more of uh, a bid, so to speak. Google up 10 uh, Amazon up 3 Chipotle up 4 um, So there's some big moves there. Facebook bouncing back up over $100 a barrel as well. Uh, let's talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Let's see where we are there. Welcome in. To a moment with Shakespeare. Macbeth once said, to get points or not to get points. Okay, so that's not true. But that's a question that people have. To be or not to be, another question they have is, should I buy points when I get a mortgage? When I get a loan, should I pay money to get a lower cost loan? It, I mean, that almost sounds like a scam. That almost sounds too good to be true. It's an odd concept that you have to pay to lower your rate. Points, paying for points. Pay, uh, point is equal to a percentage of your loan amount. So if you're paying one point, that's 1%. If it's a $400,000 loan, that's $4,000 extra. So if, But if paying that point drops your rate by a quarter percent and you save $150 a month, divide 4000 by 150 and that's how many months it takes for you to recoup those costs. So if you keep it longer than that, those months, let's say it's 33 months, and you plan on keeping that house for seven years, 84 months, you're going to benefit every month after that. So it's an investment into your loan. Um, a lot of people use uh, points when rates are going up or if it's in a purchase and the seller is giving them some, some concessions because on a purchase, all of your costs are out of your pocket, the down payment plus your closing costs. So the best way to get some additional costs is either from the rate, which is the opposite of paying points, or from the seller. So if the seller is giving you some concessions in cash, you can use that to pay points, which pays off over the long term. So somebody else is paying you you for having a lower rate. I recently got an email from someone who was going through a refi and he says, I've never paid points. And that was interesting because I was like, I've always paid points. And I, I look at it as buying them. It's buying a cheaper loan. And if I'm going to be in the house or I'm going to have a rental for more than two, three years, typically the math is going to work out that it's worth it, especially in low interest rate environments. So if the, you're getting lower interest rates. Right. And the people who don't pay points are actually at a higher rate than if they actually paid some costs. So this brings me to um, my issue I have with banks and other kinds of brokers and bankers that don't give options out. They're looking at the mass amount of people out there looking to refinance or purchase a house and saying, oh, we're going to give you low costs. In reality, they may not be doing the right service to this borrower when they should have paid a point, and it would have saved them money on a longer term. So they're not really qualifying. They're looking at those emotions of, uh, and they're looking at, at a formula that says if we advertise this, we're going to get more return on our uh, on our clients. So make sure that when you do look at a loan, look at all of the options. As a matter of fact, the new rules that came out last year make brokers uh, explain that if you paid points, this would be your lowest rate. If you don't pay points, this is the rate. And by the way, I'm choosing this rate. So it's called a, it's part of the anti-steering rule where we're not steering you into a product that's making you, us more money and costing you more money. So be very careful about somebody who says no points. That also means you're taking a higher rate. I always find it um, intimidating, the process of getting a loan, because at some point in time, you look at the cost. You look at how much you're borrowing. You're looking at how long it's going to take to pay off. So that's the area that I think most people 
talk themselves out of points. And I really, really want people to run both scenarios. Uh, because, yes, when you look at that, that final sheet of how much stuff costs and how many pieces of paper you're going to have to sign, you know, I've paid attorneys to sign for me because I don't like mortgages, mortgage paperwork that much. I'm just like, you go sign for me. Um, you get it done. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say here is don't get intimidated by the process and know that points, generally, in my opinion, are a good thing to consider. Uh, if you think you're going to be moving the next year or two, No. But then again, if you think you're going to be moving next year to a 30-year mortgage isn't appropriate for you either. Right, and you could do the same thing by getting an arm, uh, like a five-year arm. If you're going to leave in two years, get a five-year arm or a three-year arm. You're going to get a lower rate to begin with and then do a no point, and your rate's lower as if you were to pay points on a 30-year. So but that freaks people out because what if I can't sell the property in three to five years on the arm and I can't refinance and I can't – and the rates go right. – like, oh the, rate, oh, the rates went higher. Like, people freak out. Yep. And uh, we're all going to die. Earth is going to go hurtling in the sun at some point in time, and I just don't think life Aren't is... Aren't we getting closer to the sun every year? I uh, Now you're freaking me out. You're listening to Tony Mendez. You can find him at com. That's com. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Barack Obama is going to unveil his final White House budget today. Um, a lot of key elements. One of them was a $10 tax on oil that we're very likely to see on every barrel of oil sold. I love the idea if it goes completely to infrastructure, improving roads and um, bridges, and if it scales out. When oil's at $30 a barrel, it's fine, but if it's oil at 60 70 80 90 let's scale that right back on out because there'll be additional taxes from gasoline and other areas picking back up. I'm not totally against it. On the idea, again, the devil is in the details. You know that as well as I do. Um, I Americans that. have a problem. No, you're welcome, sir. Um, of which I grew up in a, a family that we were told, Republican or Democrat, you respect the president. Um, and I think that's kind of gone away, <laughs> for better or for worse. I, I am assuming for worse. Americans really can't help themselves from borrowing more on credit cards. Typical Americans always carry credit card debt through booms, through busts, through recessions of the last 15-plus years, it really starts to add up. Consumers owed a total of $936 billion credit card and other revolving debt in December. They've added $103 billion since April 2011. So Americans have a problem with growing consumer debt outstanding. Typical American loves the credit card debt. About 35% of people aged 25 to 50 with credit cards are convenience users who pay off their balances each month. The majority are revolvers uh, who carry debt forward from month to month. That's shocking and upsetting and sad. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Let's talk. Grab me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com.
visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. The show is Rob Black and your money heard here every Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. KDOW, AM 1220. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. I start every morning reading his page one column, and every Friday he gives a kind of a, a big picture image on what he's seeing out in the market. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Thanks. Yourself? Doing well. Um, not letting the market get to me. I'm... I'm happy for a sell-off because, you know, the jobs report in the United States is still good. Recession doesn't look imminent. Exposure to China is minimal. So a lot of things that are freaking people out aren't tied to me. Um, or am I being naive? I'm going down. It's the Titanic. <laughs> uh, I suppose it, it might all depend on how your own uh, investment portfolio is positioned. Um, but uh, clearly if someone, you know, is, uh, overweighted anything that's related to China, and you know, probably not feeling so great right now. But I think in the grand scheme of things here, what we're seeing unfold is a is a recalibration of that entire global economic outlook, right? And what it ultimately means for earnings growth here for U.S.-based companies. And the initial messaging, certainly in 2016, from both the stock and the bond markets, is that uh, it does not connote very good things. Uh, at this at this point in time, and I think the market is looking somewhat anxious about what lies ahead, and and what you're seeing is a a natural move to uh, uh, away from risk assets and into those safe haven um, areas like treasuries and uh, and what many people perceive as a safe haven, that being gold, uh, and certainly probably even just a move to cash. But you're certainly seeing people pull back on some of that risk exposure, and it's happened in spades for some of these really uh, uh, widely held momentum stocks of late, and that has weighed heavily on the broader market just given their uh, their influence from a market capitalization standpoint. So I saw a statistic this morning that 60% of the S&P 500 companies are already in a bear market, some of them more, financials more so. Um, some areas haven't hit it yet. Some tech stocks certainly have, companies like Tesla, companies like Apple. Um, are you starting to see any areas where there's value out there, or is this still a situation of, eh, step back, let it happen, or maybe somewhere in between? Yeah, you know, it is a, it's a market where you, you kind of do have to pick and choose uh, spots. You know, uh, in my big picture column uh, that I posted on Friday, I, I made the observation that this is not March 2009, um, but unfortunately, I think that ultimately means uh, not great things for uh, for index investors anyway. Uh, and what I was driving at there essentially was when you think back to March 2009, just think about you know how the world was awash in negativity. I mean, things are negative now, but they were really negative in March 2009. Uh, and that was a time when you saw, uh, you know, the P.E. multiple on the S&P 500, uh, you know, it collapsed, you know, because earnings uh, were, you know, falling apart. Uh, the world was falling apart, or so it seemed. But what that only did is that because prices collapsed so much, uh, you were able to start from such a, a much lower valuation standpoint that your chances of generating some really nice, positive, long-term, long-term returns was was readily apparent, and we don't 
see that right now at this juncture. You have a market, depending on whatever PE multiple you're looking at, if you're just looking at, say, an S&P 500 operating earnings, you know, multiple, you know, a lot of these consensus estimate providers would say that you're trading around 16 times forward 12-month earnings, okay? Well, that's all well and good. It's in line with the 15-year historical average, so it creates this impression that, you know, you've got some value there. But if you look at the Shiller-PE ratio, uh, which – uh, looks at things a little a little differently. It's you know based on an average inflation adjusted earnings from the previous ten years. It's still quite elevated uh, relative to a twenty year average. And so uh, the point made here is that you've got a market that's fairly valued at best and perhaps it's still extremely overvalued at worst. And so creates some difficulties in trying to discern you know whether this is a, a good time to get into the market. I don't think it is necessarily uh, as far as piling in from an indexing standpoint. Uh, but I do think that you will start seeing some opportunities avail themselves, and you kind of have to hold your nose in a way. And what I'm driving at is looking at you know, something like the energy sector, right? Uh, it probably still has more downside from here, but it has fallen apart. Earnings estimates have collapsed, and prices have come way down. But it's not all that dissimilar to that period in March 2009 when the world was awash in negativity. And when you talk about oil today, it's all negative, Right. And you do have a potential inflection point there if OPEC and non-OPEC members can potentially get together and agree on some production cuts, because uh, that would be a huge catalyst for uh, not only the commodity, but for the energy sector as well. And, and interestingly enough, the energy sector is actually one of the best-performing sectors this, this year. It's down 3%, so it's still losing money, but from a rel- it's showing some good relative strength uh, versus some of these other areas like financials and healthcare and uh, information technology. What are you looking at right now? What's your thoughts? How would you talk to your buddy, your brother-in-law, things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, where are you at in, in your head? Well, I, you know, I think this is a, a market environment where you really have to understand your risk tolerances and, and what, what really is your investment time horizon here. Uh, you know, we said at the end of 2015 that if your time horizon does not stretch past 2016, you know, so you had about a one-year outlook, probably wasn't the best um, setting up for the best investing environment uh, in 2016. And then we suggested, you know, to look more from a defensive standpoint. Um, Now, if if you have that multi-year time horizon, uh, then just kind of what we talked about earlier, I think you need to start, you know, digging through some of the carnage here and seeing where some of those real nice opportunities are uh, with, you know, relative to, you know, pr- price return potential. Uh, the energy sector is certainly one of those areas. Uh, you look at some of the transports, right? They're, you know, they're down in a bear market. Um, rails have gotten clobbered. Um, you, you know, a number of the airlines, you know, they're, they're getting hit as well, the truckers. <clears throat> so there's spots there. You, you look in the retail sector, um, I mean, the carnage there has been something else. And so there's there are going to be opportunities um, you know, in that space, you know, if you look at like a Polo Ralph Lauren, right, it got just absolutely obliterated um, after its recent earnings report. Uh, it's come down sharply, and, you know, it's a brand, it's got such great brand equity. I, I think it's in the midst of some uh, some cyclical issues here, and it's obviously being affected by, you know, some weather issues and issues with tourism, but things will turn around, right? And you get a really well-managed company like, say, for instance, Polo Ralph Lauren, um, you know, you can see some nice long-term returns here if you start to, you know, sort of 
dip your foot in the water. It's not kind of an all-in type of option at this point, I don't think, but you do start looking around and, and seeing some of those opportunities. So that's what I'm telling people, uh, you know, here now. Is you just have to really understand what your investment time horizon and risk tolerances are and then to go from there. And I'll throw in two cents and see if you agree or disagree. And you're allowed to disagree. Names like Colgate, names like Procter & Gamble, you know, kids are going to have to wipe their butts and wear diapers and brush their teeth. Uh, Johnson & Johnson for baby shampoo for years and years to come. Sometimes it's the down markets where you get that opportunity to maybe buy Coca-Cola. Who likes Coca-Cola for growth? No one. But who likes it for dividends? A lot of people. So any thoughts on buying like some just boring staple kind of names? Yeah, you know, and and uh, I have to correct myself. I spoke a little bit earlier. The energy sector is not down three percent year to date. It's down a little bit more, but it's still under. It's still outperforming the broader gotcha. market. But um, but to your point, the consumer staple sector is is down about three percent year to date. It's outperforming as you have grown. You know, we've grown accustomed to seeing in in down markets. You see a consumer staple sector, which is a counter cyclical sector, um, tend to exhibit relative strength as. Uh, institutional investors come back around to appreciate the uh, the benefit of uh, steady dividend payers who have an ability to continue to raise that dividend in just about any economic environment because of you know the uh, you know that inelastic demand for as you say things like toiletries and toothpaste and detergent um, that needs always going to be there uh, even in, in down markets so you know it, with those stocks because of the rush to safety in some of those areas, you do have to take stock of whether they are trading at, you know, high multiples. You know, they might provide some reprieve here and some relief in the, in the near term, but the point I made at the top of the interview is you start from a period of high valuation, you know, your future return prospects are going to be less. So if your emphasis is on just simply income generation that can come out of that dividend, yeah, there's a lot of good opportunities there. If you're looking for total return you know, uh, potential. Uh, you might not see as much upside price. You might even lose something there uh, because of some restrictions on, on the valuation side of things. So just, you know, be careful, but look to those areas, obviously, if, you, if you're in, in periods like this, if you're looking for some stability or some relative strength vis-a-vis the broader market. You are a great gentleman. I appreciate the insights, um, the calming approach, even though there's some distress out there. Um, I think you do a great job. It's Patrick O'Hare. I start my morning every morning with reading his page one. I'm not saying that just to say that. I was actually thrilled when I was offered the chance to interview him once a week because he is where I start my day. Um, I think the insights are good, and I think if you're spooked or you're excited, um, you need to calm those things down and have a plan. I'm a guy who likes a plan. I get into fights with loved ones for not having plans. I get in a fight at works for not having a plan. What do you think I want on the investment side? A plan. You can get more information about briefing.com at briefing.com. You can get more information about me. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm on Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Having the ability to sleep, I think, is pretty important um, when it comes to investing. I'm not telling you that should be your goal, but I'm saying if you're not sleeping well, that's a problem. So you do want to try to find investments that you feel good about. I continue to max out my 401k every year in good economies and bad economies and good markets and bad markets. Um, not stressed. The fact that I'm talking about it right now tells you that maybe I'm lying. Maybe I am a little stressed. So let's change the topic from the markets to Red Lobster. I know you're saying, how the hell are you going to do this? Red Lobster sales up 33% on Sunday. One day after Beyonce released a new song featuring the seafood chain. It's the Beyonce bounce. In the song called Formation, Beyonce refers to Red Lobster as a reward for sex. I refer to Red Lobster as Dead Lobster. I refer to it as Club Dead. Whatever you want to refer to it, it's awful seafood. I know awful seafood. Um, But that's not up to me. Red Lobster said it trended on Twitter for the first time in history following the song's release. The brand was mentioned on Twitter about 300,000 times over the weekend, including 42,000 times in a single hour. Some restaurants have been offering special Beyonce-themed drinks, such as a Bay Breeze. (laughs) Funny. Um, A reward for sex. Hey, baby, I'm going to take you to Red Lobster. Let's get it on. Let's do some Netflix and chillin'. Really? Red Lobster, is that all you're going to give me? Like, uh, I'm not going to get into this conversation because I will end up getting fired. Job openings rose in December. There were 5.6 million job openings in December 2015. That's up from 5.43 million job openings in November. So we're looking at the numbers, and the job openings rose in December. So, and I said December 2015, I meant 2016. So, job openings could create inflation because people are quitting their jobs like crazy at this point in time. Americans are quitting jobs. It's good news for wages. The last or the latest monthly job openings labor turnover survey suggests that in December, the total number of quits was 3.1 million. Typically, when people quit, they've got another job lined up, and that's a leading indicator of wage inflation. Oil demand growth set to ease back considerably. The IEA, the International Energy Agency, they're casting doubt over recovery for oil markets. They're saying oil peaked on a monthly basis um, for the, the short term. So on the supply side, a forecast of a decline in non-OPEC producers. So you're dealing with a supply and a demand, and the supply is, we're well supplied right now. 251, gas in my local area. Um, I've seen it as low as 225 now in California, which is, whoa, it's a tax break. I'll have more money in my pocket. There was one, there was one Super Bowl ad advertisement or advert, as my friends from the UK refer to them, that's um, an alarm bell. And it tells you, watch out, especially if you're hearing a lot of people praising real estate and mortgages. 
The Super Bowl ad that sets off economic alarms is the Rocket Market Mortgage. Quicken, Quicken Loans has introduced Rocket Mortgage, which aims to make it easier to get a, mo- a mortgage using your phone. So that ad, to me, raises profound and problematic questions of what you know our growth should look like and what people should be using to get a mortgage. So we know how flawed the mid-2000s growth strategy was built on consuming growing consumer debt, but we haven't really found any you know, great ideas to replace it. The, the Quicken Loans ad argues that more people getting mortgages more easily with the push of a button on a phone while sitting at a show would set off a chain reaction leading to purchases of furniture and household goods and more jobs for more people who make those goods. The problem is we need people to be vetted and uh, made sure that they can pay back their debts. You're seeing a rise in consumer in delinquencies tied to subprime auto loans right now. You need more information on people, not less information on people. You don't need to make things like investing easier, mortgages easier. You need to make them. You need to make sure people can afford what they're doing. Peyton Manning saying that he's going to go drink a lot of Budweiser uh, could be the biggest celebrity plug endorsement of all time. But what little what few people know about that is he actually owns two um, distributors. I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a little bit of touting that he shouldn't be allowed to do on the airwaves. So Sears is speeding up its closing of stores. Last time I was in a Sears, well, see, I like Sears online to buy things like washers and dryers because they'll deliver it the next day and they'll take away your old stuff. Where if your washer goes down and you get a Home Depot or Lowe's or you get a Best Buy, it's like, yeah, we'll get that to you in two weeks. So Sears has been pruning itself. It's a 123-year-old retail store. Um, patience is wearing thin. company said it's going to accelerate the closure of some stores following a challenging holiday season. Stock's down 20% this year. It's been cut in half in the past 12 months. Um, I just don't see a place for Sears, JCPenney's, or Kmart's in our life. And if it is there, it, it's it's a fraction of a map of what it used to be. Coca-Cola results topped expectations on volume and pricing growth. It's stock that you could feel pretty much so is a rock in a market that is pretty much so a storm. The new CEO at Google, a guy named Sundar Pichai, he got an equity award of $199 million. Not bad being him. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Tweet me at Rob Black Show. YouTube me, Rob Black Show. Let's see if I can get a tweet by the end of the show. Oh.